Good morning, everybody. Okay. Wow. Um, I, I always wonder how do you start a preaching and always wonder how do you end it. Um, I'm not good at either of those, but let's see how we do. Can we, can we just become quiet for a while? Lord Jesus, you're our king. We are here to enjoy your presence. We're here to enjoy you. Lord, because part of our calling in our, in our eternity is to be in your presence and to enjoy you to the fullest. And I pray, Lord, that you'll break that open this morning for us, Lord, that the, the incredible enjoyment that there is in being with you. That's what I pray. Amen. Let's just start by reading scripture. I'm going to preach about Bartimaeus, and it's an incredible story. Um, Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. Let's just read it. And then I'm going to give an introduction, put it in its framework, and then I'm going to try to preach on it. So, now they came to Jericho, that's Jesus and the disciples, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to stay quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garments, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabuni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road so far. This is such an important story, and if you don't understand the context of this story, you're going to miss what is taking place here. So, first I want to say something about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is most likely the first gospel that was written by a guy called Mark Luke. And we know Mark Luke because he was the PA of quite a few um, um, uh, apostles. First, he was uh, a PA of Barnabas. Barnabas was his uh, older cousin. And then he became the PA of Paul. And if you know Acts, they get actually a little bit of an argument because John Paul went back to Jerusalem while he was supposed to help them out. That's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. So there's hope for people that chicken out, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but come back later. Then he was a PA to Luke. And then he was a PA in the end of Peter. Now this Gospel, Gospel of Mark, used to be called the Gospel of Peter. Why? Because it was literally the preaching of Peter and the way that Peter spoke, you find back in the Gospel of Mark. It was at the end of, uh, of the life of Peter that the church in Rome actually asked Mark, would you mind to actually write down the, what Peter preaches, how he, he spoke? And then Mark went to Peter and asked, would you allow me to do it? And says, yeah, if that's what you feel, if, if you feel that's on your heart. And that is how the Gospel was written. Can you believe it? So we need to follow what's on our heart. But what an important person he actually is, a PA to the apostles. And I believe that that is a calling on many people's lives here, to be helping the apostolic to grow and be what it needs to be. 
it's so important that there are people like John Luke who are writing things down, who are recording things, and who are helping the ministry to thrive. So he also writes about himself, by the way, because most likely it was in his parents' house where the Last Supper was. And uh, maybe go to Mark 14, verse 15 and, and, uh, and 52. It's one of the scriptures that you never hear in, uh, in, uh, in church. And the reason is this. Now, a certain young man followed him. That was a young man followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know that? He talks about himself. Having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, he literally put his bed cloth around him, and he followed Jesus. And these young men, uh, and the young men, those are the young men who were coming to arrest Jesus, laid hold of him. Next verse. And he left the linen cloths and fled from them naked. Have you ever heard that scripture? That's Mark Luke. Yes, that's him. He wrote the gospel. So he followed these apostles, these disciples and Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he writes down details of what takes place there that other gospels don't have. Because he was sneaking in the bushes with his linen cloth around him naked. And when the, the guards came to arrest Jesus and, and whoever, he, they actually cut hold of him and he left his cloth and ran away naked. Have you ever heard that? We must preach on that more, man. It's, it's, it's interesting. Not that I think it has lots of spiritual significance, but if you know the writers of a book, you start understanding what they want to communicate. And there's a reason why he chose this story. So, what you need to know is that up to chapter 9 is two and a half years in the ministry of Jesus. And during those, that period, one question comes up the whole time. Who is this? It took the disciples two and a half years to come to the conclusion, you're the son of God. It's, it, you are the son of God. Now you need to ask your question already, how did Bartimaeus, who's blind, know that? Ask that question. So it took them two and a half years, and then from chapter 9 to chapter 10 is six months, is the travel from the, the Mount Horeb, where he's, where he's um, glorified, all the way to Jerusalem. And then the last chapters, 11 to 16, is only the last week. Don't think that the story is, is, is um, perfectly in line. No, it like speeds up, and then it breaks and stops, and then all of a sudden becomes more intense at the end. So Mark 8, verse 27 to 30 is so essential. So now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi and onto the road. He asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say I am? Now this is at the north where the Jordan comes, close to Mount Horeb. The story after this is the glorification on the mount. But it's so significant because at that place was actually a place of idol worship. So in a place of idol worship, Jesus asked, who do the people say I am? Why? Because there were mainly two statues. One is of Pan, which is a god who claimed to be men, and one of Caesar, a man who claimed to be God. You get that? And there Jesus says, who do people, who do the people say I am? And then the next day, they said, oh, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Uh, who do you say? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. 
you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should not, that they should tell no one about him. Good. Why not? Isn't our message Jesus is the Messiah? Before this happened, before the disciples figured out that Jesus was the Messiah, they were sent out to heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. And preach. But they didn't even know that Jesus was the Messiah. So what did they preach? What did they say? And, and why was Jesus so careful to, 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 to let people know who he was? Why did he keep it hidden? Now, those are questions that have a lot of answers. But you'll find something in the story that we have here. And one of the reasons, I'll, I'll get it, is it needs to be your personal experience with the Lord. You cannot get faith just by, you cannot lend on other people uh, um, uh, revelation of who Christ is. You need to have a revelation of Christ. You need to have an encounter with the living Lord. You cannot lean on someone else. You are called to have that revelation in your heart. Amen? Okay. So, let's start, let's go back to Mark 10 verse uh, 46 and dive into the story. Now they came to Jericho. Now, so they, Jesus is on the road and has his mission to go to the cross. He passed through Jericho several times because Jericho was the city before Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Jesus always went to the feasts of Israel. And uh, Jericho was the last big stop. And as he went out of Jericho, now that's the first thing I want to talk about. One of the biggest lies of Satan is tomorrow is another day. This was the last time he passed through Jericho. He went out of Jericho. A lot of people know that they need to come to Christ, but they always believe, I can wait. This man couldn't wait, because it's the last time that Jesus went through Jericho. If that's you who thinks that, ah, nah, I'll, I'll give it some time. I'm telling you, no. <laughs> Today is the day of salvation. With his disciples and a great multitude and blind Bartimaeus. Now, if you have to... To, to make a movie about this, you're going to look for Jesus. You're going to look for people that can play disciples. And you're going to look for people that can play the multitude. Now, what's the difference between those and one that plays Bartimaeus, of course? Well, his disciples are followers of Jesus who lay down their lives. What is the great multitude? They keep a safe distance. They like excitement. And they dedicate their lives to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are not Christian virtues, my friend. They're selfish. To a certain degree, it's everybody does. But they keep faith in Christ as something as an add-on. They don't make it their lives. The disciples lay down their lives. And my question is, in which category are you? Are you... Part of the multitude? Are you a disciple? Or are you maybe Bartimaeus? Someone who has only one desire, if I can only meet with Christ. So, there's a... And Bartimaeus. Do you think that Bartimaeus was the only blind man, by the way, there? I don't think so. It was a big city. Do you think he was the only beggar? No. There were far more. 
But what is taking place here? The son of Timaeus sat by the road begging. The story ends by him following Jesus on the road. So, uh, the next verse, 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How on earth did he get to that? Now, we have to use our imagination, speculate a bit. It was a Jewish town, and it's a Jewish boy, because it's a Jewish thing that he's, that he's saying, son of David. I think something like the following might have happened. We know that he's blind, Jewish, and living in a Jewish town. So he always went to the synagogue, right? And at the synagogue, the, the, the following is preached. Isaiah 35, verse 4 to 6. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the compens, uh, com recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. I think on the way home, he said, Mom, <coughs> did, I, did, did, did I hear that correctly? He says, well, what do you mean? Well, the prophet Isaiah was read, and, and I heard something about the eyes of the blind being opened. Is that, is that true? Yeah, of course that's true. It's in, in Isaiah says so. But, but, but who is going to do that? How, how can I? I'm blind. There it's promised. Um, tell me more. Now it's only when the son of David returns, my son. Oh, the son of David. Okay. Uh, and who is that? No, that's the Messiah. Is he real? Yeah, one day he's real. One day. Okay. A few weeks later, they go through the book of Isaiah. They get to Isaiah 42, verse 7. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison to those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Mom, he said it again. <laughs> it's not once, it's twice now. Uh, God must be really serious about this thing. It, it can't be that it's just, just metaphorical. He, he's promising something here that I need. How do I get to that Messiah? When is he coming? In his heart started something that we call spiritual hunger. And without spiritual hunger, it's impossible to receive the things that God wants to give. The other people there didn't have that. What, what he's asking here of Jesus is not a miracle. Do you know that there were lots of people who were asking Jesus for miracles? Ten lepers go to Jesus, they heard this. Magician is here who can do healings. So they go to him and say, oh, hey, hey, it's you. Can you heal us? Wonderful. Thank you. And they go. And only one returns and says, wait, wait, wait a minute. How can you do that? Bartimaeus is not asking for a healing. He's asking the king of kings to do what he promised. Do you see that? It's a completely different paradigm. Because in his heart, he had the faith. That God will do what he said. The only thing he needed is meet God. Is meet him. Is meet the Messiah. That's the only thing that was needed. So let's go back to verse. Um, then, then Isaiah 61. I want to show you something. Isaiah 61 verse 1. We know this because it's mentioned in Luke 4. 
But I want to show you something. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tithes and things to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of a prison to those who are bound. You see that there's no mention of blind here. You see that? Okay, now go to uh, Luke 4. <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons why the people got angry in the church, by the way. The Spirit, so Jesus is given the scroll and goes to Isaiah 61. And there he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery. And then he stops and says, Oh, by the way, that's not all. That's not all. Also recovery to the sight of the blind. But do you see that he's not reading it from the scroll? He's saying, wait a minute, <clears throat> when I inspired Isaiah, he forgot a thing. I'm, uh, I'm, by the way, the writer of this book, so I can add things, can I not? And what does he add? Sight to the blind. I don't want to do things that are, yeah, it's those who are oppressed. Yeah, that's, that, I'm actually coming to do that as well. And the, and the, and the scribes, that's not in Scripture. No, it's not. Will we allow God to do things that are not in Scripture? Yeah. You know that, that John says, if, if I had to write down everything that the Lord has done, all the books in the world wouldn't be enough to hold it. And people, yeah, but what the Lord is doing now is not in Scripture. No. Because he did a lot more. <laughs> he did a lot more. Let not, let's not limit God to the Scriptures that he inspired. Please, never do that. And let reach out to say, Lord, will you, will you fulfill what you've written down? Amen? You can say amen. Amen. Okay. Oh. So what is going on with Bartimaeus? We're still busy figuring out how he came to that confession. You are, you are the son of David. Faith comes by hearing and by the hearing of the word of God. He took the word of God that he had as, a, as I believe, as a, as, a, as a man, and he made it internal. And he said, Lord, I want that. I want what you write about. I don't want it to be just a theory in my head. Faith is not agreeing with theology. Faith is taking hold of it in your heart. Faith is saying yes and amen. Faith brings forth spiritual hunger where you say, Lord, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to take hold of. Okay. Bartimaeus. Let's go back to um, verse 47. Uh, Luke 10. Sorry, um, Mark 10, 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. What I think is what happened is Jesus had passed a few times. And then Bartimaeus wasn't there. And then he heard afterwards, oh, have you heard about this miracle work? And said, was he there? I missed it. I missed it. Lord, let him come by, please, another time. And now he hears the hearing that Jesus of Nazareth was close by triggered a lot with this man. Namely, he had already concluded that must be the Messiah. The disciples only figured it out a few weeks before. 
Nobody else understood it, that this is the Messiah, because he wasn't crucified, risen yet, but he saw it. And what it triggered in him is to, because he's here, I can go to him. And that's why he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, or for Bartimaeus, was asking for an audience with the king. There are people here that need an audience with the king. Jesus, son of David. It's the same as um, um, Esther, who goes to the king and says, if I found favor in your sight. He approaches Jesus as the king. And when, uh, sorry, you can uh, continue. Verse 48. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Your spiritual hunger needs to be bigger <laughs> than the force by which people want to try to stop it. Uh, let me tell a story. Um, it's, it's, it's my story because I grew up and um, I suffered a lot with a lot of fear in my life. Partially because I grew up in Pakistan and my parents visited India and as a young boy my Parents took me to all bloody temple that is around in Varanasi and you name it. And since that day, I struggled a lot with oppression, demons. And I had a lot of out-of-body experiences and it was horrible. I had no clue how to deal with it. I was a young boy. I mean, what do you do? I used to sleep with my lights on and um, I had no clue. Then I, someone gave me a Bible and I started reading the Gospel of Mark and I came to this story. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I tried it out. I thought, let me try this. Maybe this will work. And, oh boy, how did it work? So I remember that I, I thought it was the formula. If I just get the formula right. Now, deliverance got nothing to do with formulas. <laughs> got everything to do with the presence of the Lord Jesus. So I would have out-of-body experiences and look at my body. If it freaks you out, just mute it, okay? And, and, and I, I, would, I would look at myself and be tormented. And I waited for that moment. says, I'm going to get these guys. And I started screaming, Jesus of Jesus, Son of David, have made the light of my... And all of a sudden, Jesus came into the picture and the demons were scared. I said, wow, that works. Wow, that's awesome. And I kept on doing it. Uh, my parents told me, will you not do that anymore? We can't sleep. Um, well, I kept on doing it. And um, to such an extent that I now learned to do it preemptly. So you don't wait until the demons do it. You do it earlier. And then I actually vomited stuff I didn't eat. And I was set free. So I said, hey, it's not needed anymore. That's interesting. I was 11 years old. <laughs> But I had an audience with the king. Childish faith. Simple expectancy. Lord, will you, if it's true for him, it's true for me. That was my only conclusion. If it was true for Bartimaeus, it's true for me. And I started praying that prayer and had a huge influence on my life. Later on, I, I figured out that I was now a Christian, that I was a believer. It was all discovered. I remembered laying on my carpet. Do you know why I prayed? It felt so good. It felt so good. It didn't 
didn't have any other reasons to. And what I found out later is that in the church in India, the, the uh, Thomas Christians, when a Hindu comes to faith, they teach him this prayer to get freed of demons. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nero was an 11-year-old boy <laughs> in my room <laughs> practicing the word in my life. And that's how I got saved. Amen. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can we talk a little bit about deliverance, by the way? Because I think it's, it's something that um, the Lord really pressed on me. Luke 1, verse 74 to 75. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Do you see that this is already fulfilled? Once we are delivered from our enemies, we might serve him without fear. Fear. Without fear. If you've got fear and anxiety in your life, that's the first thing that God wants to set you free from. In holiness, living holy is the second thing why you're set free, so that you can live holy. Being bound to sin doesn't need therapy. It needs to be kicked out. <laughs> yeah? But God sets us free so that we can live holy. In righteousness, God wants to clean your heart up and make it righteous. Before him, presence to the Lord. Demons always try to keep people from reading Bible, praying, and, and coming to Christ. They can't, but that's what they want to do. All the days of your life, demons steal days. Prevent you from living your life to the fullest. And that is what, what deliverance is for. Okay, let's go back to the story. Verse 49, uh, Mark 10. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. So there he goes and he goes. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. His garment was a beggar's garment. I always liked the idea, most likely, I hope he had his pockets full of money and he threw his jacket off with the money and went to Jesus. Oh. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? That's actually what a king always answers. When you go to a king and says, have I found favor in your sight? Have mercy with me. Then the king always says, okay, what do you want me to do? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious? What? But do you know that the first thing he asks is for his sight? But it's not only the only thing that he asks. The reason why Bartimaeus' name is known from all the other people that got healed, his name isn't known. Their name are, are not known. Bartimaeus is known because he followed Jesus and he was most likely at the crucifixion and through the resurrection, he was most likely at the upper room because he's a well-known name in the early church. And when this gospel was written, his name was mentioned because he says, oh, you can actually ask Bartimaeus yourself to check this story. That's why his name was known because he was a well-known person in the church. So, what do you want me to do? The blind man said to him, Rabuni, that I may receive my sight. Lord, have mercy on me. Mercy and grace always come together. They're like twin sisters. They are always together. Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is you do get what you don't deserve. And it always comes together. 
Last week, Mervis said something that touched me deeply. He says, um, all, of, um, all I need to know is that I love you. And then he says, all I need to know is I think I love you. All I need to know is I think I believe in you, Lord. All I think is, is I, I actually think that my faith, there is something real in my faith. All I need to know is that you are merciful. And that little bit of faith, I, I hope that that's pleasing to you, Lord. I hope that that, that that little bit of crying out that I have, based on unperfect knowledge of you, because you're so much more, will be pleasing to you. Bartimaeus comes to, to him, says, I, I, you, are, you are the king of David, are you not? Will you have mercy on me? And when the question is asked, what do you want? I want to see. He was asking from the king to do what he promised. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That little bit of faith that you had is more than enough to receive everything that I want to give. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The story starts with Bartimaeus who sits at the road or on the road. And now he follows Jesus on the road. He was a beggar to a disciple. He went from beggar to disciple. Now my prayer is that today, people that are stuck in whatever way will have an audience with the king and get from stuck to walking with Jesus on the road. That the crowd... People that are just onlookers who are here for their selfish reasons will say, hey, wait a minute. The king is alive. I want to follow him the rest of my days. And if you follow in any of those two categories, today is your day. Now, I want to show you how special this occasion is. Because if you look at the people that recognize Jesus as king, it's actually very few. It's the three wise men out of the east. They came to have an audience with the king as a baby. A baby is born, a son is given, and his government will be on his shoulders forever and ever. They saw it. People from who saw a star, they came to see Jesus. Then you have um, Bartimaeus, who recognizes Jesus as king, son of David, as a king. And then you have the man at, on the cross. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You see that? It's very rare that people recognize in him the king that he was. People always wanted to make Jesus a king that they wanted. It's very important to make that distinction. Do you worship Jesus as he is? Or do you want Jesus to be as you want him to be? Because during the, the feeding of the 5,000, people wanted to make him king but not the type of king that he was. Not the type of king that he is. And what Jesus quickly found out is that if you don't accept their crown, you're going to get a crown of thorns. And it's a challenge for the church today as well. Are we going to be the church that God makes us or the church that the, that the, the world wants us to be? It's the same challenge. And we should be a church that loves the truth, a church that speaks the truth, a church that defines love. Yeah? 
Anyway, that's some stuff I wanted to say. Okay, he did not ask for a miracle, but to do what he promised in his word. Um, shall I share some testimonies, or what shall I do? Testimonies. Do you know what a visitation is? Do you know what a visitation is? Do you know what, what, what was prophesied last week? I don't think we know. <laughs> But, but I know part of it. One thing is, is that word becomes flesh again. And that things that you dream of become reality. The dreams that God has deposited in your heart like Bartimaeus. If I could just be the king, I will see, will become reality again. That's a visitation. When, 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 when the faith that you have in your heart gets stirred and you're able to tap it in it see it work out salvation healing miracles signs that's part of a visitation people john g lake said give me a church that's hungry for god <laughs> and it will happen god wants to stir hunger in our hearts like bartimaeus had to just meet with the king a friend of mine i spoke with him about these things because because uh, we're, we're from vineyard and he said his wife got seriously ill before their fourth child born while she was pregnant and um, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on and uh, seriously ill I mean she went to asylum it was physical psychological she went completely crazy and there were elders in the church <laughs> can you believe it so they're like what's going on and just at that time the Toronto blessing had, had had started and a friend of him said take your wife go there so he fetched his wife, I don't know how they flew there, and they entered into that meeting. And from the stage, someone walked straight up to her and says, you've made a pact with death when you were 16 years old. You need to repent. What happened is at 16 years old, she fell pregnant from her boyfriend. And her mother took her to the UK for, uh, for an abortion. And they had promised never to mention it to anyone. She repented of it. And Instantly, she was well. He said, I, hmm. he kind of had to digest that. But instantly, she became well. That's a visitation of the Lord. Where things that are hidden in darkness will come to the light. That's a visitation of the Lord. You, 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 Lord, shine your light on me. John G. Lake, I've got one more story. And then we're going to worship. Okay. John G. Lake tells this story. I love to tell this story because the story is of a hungry man. A short time after I went to South Africa and God had begun to work this marvelous, work very marvelously in the city of Johannesburg. A butcher who lived in the suburbs was advised by his physicians that he had developed such a tubercular state that he might not live more than nine months. He wanted to make provision so that his family would be cared for after he was gone. So he bought a farm and undertook to develop it so that when he died, his family would have to, uh, a means of existence. One day he received a letter from friends in, in Johannesburg telling of the coming of what they spoke of 
the American brethren and of the wonderful things that were taking place. They told of so-and-so, a terrible drunkard who had been converted, of his niece who had been enveloped in a wheelchair for five years, who had been healed of God, how one of his other relatives had been baptized in the Holy Ghost and was speaking in tongues, and of other friends and neighbors who had been baptized and healed. He told of the powerful change that had come into the community and all the marvelous and vigorous work of God that, that God produces. Von Fuden was his name. He took the letter and crawled under an African thorn tree. He spread the letter out and before God and began to discuss it with the Lord. It says, God in heaven, if you could come to Mr. So-and-so, a drunkard, and deliver him from his sin and save his soul and put the joy of God in him, if you could come to this niece of mine, save her soul, heal her body, and send her to be, uh, to be a blessing instead of a weight and a burden of, of, upon her friends. If you could come to so-and-so, and they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues. If you can do these things at Johannesburg, you can do something for me too. He knelt down, put his face to the ground, and cried out to God that he would do something for him. That morning, Van Vuden was so stirred by the reading of the letter that his desire to be made whole got bigger than anything else in his consciences. His heart reached for God, and that morning his prayer went through to heaven that God of God came down in his life. And in, in 10 minutes, he took all the breath he wanted. The pain was gone. The tuberculosis had disappeared, and he was a whole man. But this was not all. He not only received a great physical healing, but God also had literally come in and taken possession of the man's life until he did not understand himself anymore. In telling me, he said, brother, a new prayer from heaven was born in my spirit. I had prayed for my wife's salvation for 18 years, but never could pray through. But that morning I prayed through. I was all done and I got to the house. She stood and looked at me for two minutes until it dawned in her, um, uh, in her soul, that I was gloriously healed of God. She never asked a question as how it took place, but fell on her knees and threw her hands to heaven and said, pray for me. Then, for God's sake, pray for me. I must find God today. And God came into her soul. Von Vuden had 11 splendid children. The mother and he began praying, and within a week, the whole household of 13 had been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Ghost. He went to his brother's farm, told of the wonders that God had done, prayed through, and in a little while, 19 families were baptized by the Holy Ghost. That's a visitation. That is what stirred in me when I hear the word visitation. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. I'm so hungry. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us, Lord. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us.